All right, my friends, welcome back. I don't know why, but Hashem has a funny way of running our world that we can't possibly fathom. <laughs> so there was some... We had some more issues, some more challenges, some more tests. So we could choose to be joyous and jovial and overcome the, the issues. I think we're good now. Can somebody tell me? Skippy, I see you're on. Are we good? Can you please type? Can you hear me? Is our system working? Thank God for small miracles. Debbie says yes. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. In our previous episode on learning how to trust Hashem, what we call live with certainty, we discussed the test. And the test leads us to the choice. And that's, of course, the name of today's, of today's episode as we continue to move forward in the amazing study of Shara B'tochen. So we're not in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. None of us are really in control. Hashem is in control all the time. Well, if Hashem's in control, why doesn't he make it a little easier? Why is it that virtually all life upon this planet has an easier time of getting things done than us human beings? I mean, we are created in God's image. We are the ultimate objective, the purpose of creation itself. You know, as we've discussed so many times how Rosh Hashanah, the celebration or observance of creation, God's creation, isn't done on the day of Bereshit bara Elohim, the beginning of, or genesis of existence as we know it, but rather on the sixth day of creation. This is the day that creation becomes meaningful because our ancestors, the original humans, Adam and Eve, were created. The question then begs itself, why does God give us such a difficult time to simply provide for our basic needs? We dealt this question significantly in the previous episode, and today as we move forward, you can follow along inside if you're using the Kihat edition. Page 85. So we're going to make all of our efforts, and all of this is a great big test. It's a test. Hashem wants us to think like uh, we're doing it. He wants us to have the possibility of claiming paternity for success, of saying, I did this, I built this, I made this. It's really Hashem's miracles. If you don't make the right efforts, if you do silly things that can't possibly bring about success, and then you succeed, it would obviously be a miracle. If you would close your eyes and just start pressing buttons randomly, or go into your stock trading blindfolded and just click without knowing what you're looking at and somehow become fabulously wealthy, we'd call that a miracle. But if you got up very early in the morning and analyzed the markets and from the Hang Seng to the European markets and you thought about this and you made a strategy and you had everything clearly planned out and you made an educated guess that 
certain sectors of the economy would react a particular way and that would give you a chance to invest elsewhere where people weren't thinking about. And all of this carefully choreographed planning works. And you're the wonder boy of Bay Street. That's like our Wall Street here in Toronto. Everybody's like, wow, this guy is amazing. He's brilliant. He's so insightful. It's not really true. It looks that way. Hashem wants it to look that way. He wants to hide behind our actions. And of course, the wonder boy of Bay Street today can be the biggest loser tomorrow. And he doesn't know what changed. He says, I'm, I'm just as smart. I'm working just as hard. I'm trying with the same diligence, the same acumen. I said, well, he just got unlucky. It doesn't really work that way, my friends. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the creator of the entire universe, runs everything. So we make our efforts. And yes, we expend a tremendous amount of toil. As the liturgist says in our holiday prayer, Benafshi Yovilachme, literally, one spends life itself trying to make a living, but it's all in Hashem's hands. As Rabbeinu Bachaya continues to say, Uma Shagazar Habayra. Those things that the Creator decreed. And a decree, of course, isn't something that fits into the frame of our rhyme and reason. That which the Creator decreed will be so. Namely, that you'll reach fruition. It'll be, if you will, complete. Efforts made, and a harvest is yielded. Now, of course, you say, look, I got up early in the morning. I was up, I was on the farm at 4 a.m. I worked my tail off. I planted, I tilled, I, I watered. Yeah, you did. And now I'm successful. Are you? Or did Hashem decide that the good land should produce its yield. And next year, the good land didn't produce its yield. You did the same things. Whether it's farming the actual soil or surfing the net, trying to plant your investment possibilities in every situation, regardless of profession, vocation, or pursuit. Ma that which Hashem decides, Sheyigomer will come to fruition. That's what Sheyigomer lo adamehem. That's where the person will obtain results. The Yishlam, it'll come to its completion, and all of that will happen. Behashlomat hisdamnut hasibot. It will happen because God will make available the means that allows it to happen. This is a word we've spoken about quite a bit over the last little while. The previous episodes, the idea of sibot. Sibot means causes. One thing 
one detail, one reality, begets the next. You know, that, that dazzling domino effect we keep talking about. These are the causes that Hashem puts in place. You pressed all the right buttons. You did all the right things. And if Hashem wishes and decrees it should be so, then everything will be lined up for the perfect constellation and the result in stunning success. But if one cog is missing, one little piece isn't working, all the efforts in the world will yield you nothing because Hashem decreed it so. And what Hashem did not decree should reach fruition and bring this person success. If the Creator says, it ain't going to happen, it's not going to finish well, it won't. But I did all the right things. Yeah. Uh-oh. Can or can't hear? You can't hear. Okay. So, Hashem makes sure that the reasons, one of the pieces is missing. You have a perfect strategy. Everything's in place. Hashem made sure that one of the details, one of the critical details, just didn't work. So everything's in God's hands. We have to make our efforts, and everything's in Hashem's hands. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be successful. And, and that's, of course, a circumstance that tests us. It tests us because, because we think that success is in our hands, but we have to be able to look past that. And sometimes, and sometimes it won't work out. Just, uh, let's just stop one second. Why does that have to happen? Why is it that things shouldn't work out sometimes? I mean, based on the previous logic, based on the previous approach, we said Hashem needs you and I to create the facade. We're like God's partners in His concealment. Hashem says, help me be camouflaged. Do it so well that you can actually fool yourself too. And then be wise enough and discerning enough to see past the smokescreen. You will make all the right efforts. And everything will work out exactly as you planned it to be. Because Hashem decided so. And you will think, aha, uh -huh, that's because I'm so smart. And that's a test. The test will be, in a time of success, did you remember Hashem? Because Almighty God is the one who gave you the ability to achieve success. Or will you say, It is my power, my valor, the might of my hand that has brought me this profit. Let's think about this. If sometimes the best laid plans lead nowhere, wouldn't that make you 
recognize Hashem's presence? Wouldn't that make us mindful of the fact that we aren't actually the masters of our own destiny? I mean, logically, if Hashem wants us to participate in creating the facade and throwing up the smokescreen, then why wouldn't we have success sometimes? Why wouldn't things always go right? The very fact that things won't always work out, it would seem, should be the great big reminder that, hey, it's not really your efforts. But that diminishes. That makes the test less impactful, not more impactful. Seriously, like, like something's not adding up here. If it's a test of faith that Hashem is trying to engage us with, why is it that sometimes things go nowhere? That's because it's not actually about the bottom line. It's about the choices you make. Here, Rabbeinu Bachaya is going to introduce us to a critical element of Torah theology. There's this very important idea that in order for us to live lives that are meaningful, in order for our actions to be important, that we have to have the freedom to choose. That we can't be influenced to the point that we aren't in control. If I'm forced to be kind or sensitive, can I get any credit for being kind or sensitive? What choice did I have? It's precisely because I have a choice that it becomes meaningful. But if I can't choose to fail or to succeed, doesn't that get in the way of my choice altogether? If Hashem is ultimately doing everything? I mean, let's think about this. If God didn't want me to succeed at my heist, at my theft, would I have succeeded? The answer most certainly is not. <laughs> so what do you want from me? I stole? Sure, I stole. God let me steal. I was mean to somebody? God gave me the opportunity. King David viewed the insults hurled upon him by a rebellious fellow named Shimi ben Gera as divinely ordained, which didn't exonerate Shimi, incidentally, and Shimi paid the price later on. But David HaMelech says, Ki im Hashem Omar l'shimi kalil. Hashem was hurling insults upon David HaMelech by virtue or through the ages of this guy Shimi. Which makes us wonder then. So if the end result isn't in our hands, why are we held culpable? Why are we held responsible for the results that we didn't really create? And here we open the door to a very important idea 
within the frame of Yiddishkeit. Culpability, responsibility, reward and punishment aren't actually about the final results, but rather about the choices you made. Let me read to you from the commentary. The Neder Bakaydish says, The Neder Bakredish says, Yigomer, Yigomer. The word is fruition, completion, ligmar, to end something. He says, This verbiage, Neufel Bemase Hasibois, it really is attributed, the end result is attributed to the causes, causes that are beyond our ability to influence. I made the efforts. I tried to turn a profit. The end result of the profit wasn't because of the efforts I made, but because Hashem decided that all the details should be in place so that my efforts could actually achieve success. Sometimes, Adam Choshev Tachbulaisov, a person schemes, he has these ideas and thoughts. He has a strategy. He's going to cause his parnasa. He discovered that there was a power outage in a particular part of the world. And this would result in a deficiency in manufacturing of a particular product that usually comes from that part of the world. And they are going to need a certain product. And so he has this very, very sophisticated calculation. And he realizes that because of a whole slew of reasons, it would be a great idea to invest in a product that isn't right now on anybody's radar. And he does the math. And it works out. He makes the investment. Maybe he bets the farm. He says, this is the salvation. Here is where I'm going to wipe out last year's losses. I'm going to make so much profit because nobody thought about making this investment. And here's the rhyme and reason. And what happened? He never could have anticipated what came next. And as such, in the end, all of his efforts were in vain. He wasn't wrong. The strategy was perfect. His insight into the economic movements, global economic movements, were right on the money. How could he have known that there was going to be a coup how could he have known that there was going to be rebels and a war would break out exactly in the area of that particular manufacturing? And all of his investments went south. How could he have known? He's invested in this very part of the world dozens of times. Never failed. Why? It's not the strategy, it's not the acumen, it's not because of your efforts that you reach completion of fruition. You have to do your part. Then you'll raise your eyes heavenward. <laughs>
you know, our sages said, when it comes to farming, Zereya, Zereya, Umaymin Bechehoilonin. You plant, and then you put your faith and your trust in Hashem. Because nobody knows what kind of year is coming their way. Hashem could withhold it. And if he withholds it, it goes nowhere. So, obviously this is the way Hashem ordained things to be. But if it's all about us having the test of faith, why in fact wouldn't it work well? The test would be much bigger if there wouldn't be the wild card factor. If you think about it, the wild card factor can actually lead a person to faith. It says, I had a perfect strategy and it didn't work out. Hmm. There's something else at play here. So it weakens rather than strengthens the test. So what's going on here? Says the Chavis Halavaves, Vinizborer Mimenu. It's not about what happens. It's about what you chose to do. It'll become clear from this process. Avoda means strenuous efforts made to serve Hashem. It comes from the term Eved, which means subservience. And invariably, the service of God will require subservience. We will want something different. For example, you can take something. It belongs to somebody else. Nobody will ever know. Hey, you deserve a break. It's the wrong thing to do. Torah says don't. If you succeed in refraining from taking that which easily could have become yours illegally, what have you just done? You have engaged in subservience. You have bowed your head in submission before Hashem. You said, I'd like this. Hashem doesn't want me to do it. The bigger the test, the greater the subservience. The larger the energy of holiness engendered. The bigger, so to speak, the payoff. As the Mishnah says, lafum tzara agra. According to the pain is the gain. The harder it was for you to say no, the greater reward awaits you. The more meaningful that action is. If you're really hungry and the non-kosher food smells absolutely delicious and you choose not to eat it, it's not nearly as big a deal as if Nobody was around. You used to do this last week. And therefore, it's more challenging for you. So not only are you really hungry, you used to do this all the time. And nobody's watching anyway. And then sometimes somebody sweetens the deal too. You might even profit from it. The greater the act of subservience, the holier, the more meaningful, is that commitment and devotion to Hashem. Or Ha'aveda, the transgression. 
truth is that the harder it was for us, in a certain sense, the less impactful the sin. What if we did something we didn't even want to do? Like there's a famous expression that goes, the sin we did with the evil inclination. And the famous question is, what do you mean? The sin we did with the evil inclination. Do you know any sins we don't do because of the evil inclination? And the answer our sages tell us is, sometimes even your evil inclination didn't want the sin. The more flippant, the more indifferent you are to God. Yeah, I wasn't even tempted. Who cares? The more egregious the more disrespectful, the greater the disobedience. And that is what this is all about. It's about the choices we make, not the final results. In our intentions and our resolve. You intended to do something. You resolved to follow through. You chose this way and not the other. There was an easier path. The path of riches. On somebody else's back and of course illegal, but hey, who's looking? God? Eh, God doesn't really care. I got to make a living. You know, you know, if God wanted me to make a living, if God didn't want me to violate Torah, then he shouldn't uh, give me the opportunities to steal. He should have given me an easy way to make a living. He made it hard for me to make a living, so I'll do what I want to do. Whether you will or won't have success isn't even the point. The point is, why'd you make the choice? Why'd you resolve to do the wrong thing? And as such, you will be held culpable Either the consequence of reward or, God forbid, punishment. Even if, in fact, you were unsuccessful, you made an effort to steal, in the end, you were caught. In the end, you weren't able to carry out your intentions, but you chose to do that. And that's why you'll be held responsible. And that's what you'll be held responsible for. Listen to how the Manoya Chalavavis puts it. What Rabbeinu B'chayim means to say, We talked about the test, right? But that is the test, not the final results. The test is, what will we choose to do? What God's looking for is your intentions. He's looking for your thoughts. When you wanted to do something inappropriate, egregious, or in fact good. And what happens if your bad choices, your immoral choices, don't result in nearly as much damage as you thought they would. You try to blindside, overwhelm, disabuse, whatever it might be. And it didn't work out. 
Didn't work. You took no responsibility. You should have taken responsibility. You exploited. You shouldn't have. You lied. You cheated. You shouldn't have. In the end, it doesn't result in success. It doesn't have to. You just had your test. That was the test. The test was, not only will you remember Hashem after you succeeded, the test was, how did you react to a situation and what did you choose to do? Because the choice is what it's all about. Even im lo even if this never comes to fruition, says the Menei Chalavavis, what the Shar HaBetochen is trying to tell us is that once you are put in that circumstance and you resolved in a particular direction, Nizgale Kavanosoi Ubechirosoi, your intention and your choice has now been made clear. And now comes culpability. Says the Manoya Chalavavais, trying to elucidate and explain the words of Rabbeinu Bechayim. Were we to live in a black and white, simple, easy, predictable world, where two plus two always equals four, where efforts always bring success, where things always unfold exactly as you planned for them to unfold and exactly as you expected. So then everything would be simple. There would be no hard choices to make. There would be nothing that would restrain you from the path of choosing right. That's not the way God wanted it. God wanted that we should earn our righteousness, that we should earn our reward, and as such be held culpable for the opposite. And it's all about the choice we make. And he says something very important. If I only intended, but I never acted, does Hashem hold me responsible? He says, yes, because kivon shekvar because you started to do it. You started to do it. It doesn't matter if you didn't succeed. That comes from Hashem. Hashem can't hold you culpable for what He did. But He can hold you culpable for what you intended to do and began to do. Rambam, Maimonides, tells us that it's a prohibition in the Torah to strike, strike somebody with violence. It's a prohibition to, ra to raise a hand, to throw a punch. To be violent is a, a, a direct contravention of Torah. How do we know this? We know this because the Torah says that a convicted criminal can sometimes receive a flogging. But there's a maximum amount of stripes that the convict receives. And it says, You give him 40 stripes. Don't add anything to that. And if you add, you violate a mitzvah in the Torah. In the book of mitzvahs, the Rambam goes so far as to say that we see that the first Rebbe of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, encountered two people who were quarreling. Big troublemakers who remain 
always in a bad place until finally the rebellion of Korah puts an end to them. But Moshe Rabbeinu is dealing with these adversaries from the very beginning of his illustrious career, if you will. He's a young man. He's venturing outside the palace and his immediate orbit of comfort. He's seeking to alleviate the plight of his fellow Hebrew sla- Hebrews, the slaves. The first scene one of Moshe Rabbeinu's life is eliminating an evil taskmaster, a rapist and an abuser. Scene two, Moshe Rabbeinu sees two people, two Hebrews, two slaves fighting. And one is about to land a punch on the other. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Russia, wicked person. Lomasaka, why would you hit? So the Rebbe asks, he didn't hit him yet. He didn't hit him. If he didn't hit him, so why is he on Russia? A wicked person is wicked by virtue of what he or she does. The Rebbe says, because he raised his hand. When you raise a hand, that is to say, when an evil person, when a person commits evil and raises a hand to violently strike another, it is possible that they will throw the punch and they won't succeed. It's possible. Without even knowing it, the person will duck or move away because of something else and the punch misses. Does that absolve them? No. Toruk says they're a Russia. Moshe Rabbeinu calls him a Russia. Why? Because he threw the punch. Because he lifted a hand. When you lift a hand to throw a punch, you're already a Russia. In other words, it goes after Tchilas Hamaisa. The end game, actual success is never really in our hands. Well, if it's never in our hands, how can we ever be held culpable? Because we chose. Because it was our intention. And because we began, says Manoyah Chalavovas, Hischil Bemaisa. You started to do it. The Pas Lechem gives us like a, he illustrates this whole thing. He talks about a person's challenges to, so to speak, earn a living. Their objective is simply to bring home the daily bread. And there are challenges. What are the challenges? The challenge is not just, will you remember God or not? Says the Pas Lechem, Derech Moshe. But say the Hamazan, person seeks a livelihood. So what does he got to do? You got to find a reasonable way to make a living. <laughs> There's a rhyme and reason to economics. Figure out how you are going to be able to invest time, treasure, effort, talent, acumen, and as a result, bring home some profit. So it has to come in a specific way. For example, he says, suppose you're a farmer. One of the things you have to do is plow the field. Because if you don't crack open the earth's surface, you can't put the seeds inside. Comes the Torah and says, You're not allowed to hitch the plow to a donkey and an ox together. So what if you did hitch the donkey and ox together? He said, I got a lot of fields to plow. I gotta, I've got to make a profit. I don't have time to dilly-dally and, and waste uh, more time plowing a field that should go more quickly. I got two animals, twice as much horsepower, and one's a donkey, 
a mule, and one's an ox, and I'm going to have him hitched to the to the pit to, to, to the the plow together, and I'll do this with greater haste, and I'll get more done. So how do you know anything's going to grow? <laughs> Has it never happened that people planted and there was no harvest? So Rabbeinu Bechayah says, that's the point. The point wasn't if you will or won't have a harvest. The point was that when you were faced with the challenge of how will I do this? How am I going to plow all these fields? And in your mind you said, hey, I have a donkey, I have a cow, I can get this done quickly. So you resolved to do something and you did it. It didn't earn you a profit. It doesn't matter. You violated the Torah. You did something Hashem said not to do. Now think about it. If it wasn't challenging to farm the land, if you didn't have motivation, would you ever do the sin? Of course not. Why bother? And that's exactly and particularly why Hashem made it difficult. So you should be challenged, tested, and you should make a choice. And then that choice is what it's all about. For example, it's Yisrochloyim. You shouldn't plant in a manner that mixes different seeds. You have a harvest. You have to leave gleanings for the poor. That's called peya, the edge of the field, the leket, the shikha, things that are forgotten. You have to separate the heave offering, the truma for the kornim, the miser for the Levites. The challah, which once again goes to the coin. Suppose carbohydrates aren't your thing. You like protein. Red meat, to be exact. Oh, yeah. You have to eat balichayim. You have to eat from animals that are kosher animals. And no, you can't go hunting. It's got to be slaughtered quickly and painlessly, as the Torah ordains it to be. The shechita. And what if it doesn't quite work that way? Or what if the animal had already begun the process of dying because, for example, the lungs were punctured? Well, in that case, it's, it's a trefa. It's a novella. It's no good. It's not kosher. So I'm going to wear my clothes. Yeah, that's nice. You're not allowed to wear clothes that are made of wool and linen. Did or didn't you do the wrong thing? Did you wear what's appropriate, or did you choose not to care? And he references so many different things. There's a specific code in dress. Genders have different kinds of clothes. The Torah is very specific about this. The Torah talks to us about the mitzvah of tzitzit. You can live in a house. Do you have a mezuzah? Is it a safe area or could somebody get hurt? The mitzvah of Micah. When you do business, are you infringing on somebody else's ability? Or are you being mindful of others? You want to have a family. There's a whole lot of laws that have to be followed first. Are you permitted to marry this person? Is this the kind of intimacy that the Torah graces with Hashem's presence and holiness? Paslechem says in every single one of these circumstances, we will be tested, 
and we will make choices. And the choices are what it's about. Hashem will provide to whomever He chooses to provide. Hashem will not provide for whomever He chooses not to provide. That's in Hashem, so to speak, in His hands. That's His issue. Your issue, my issue, that's the choices we make. So the circumstances are arranged for us to make choices. And if we choose to do what is right, which almost always will engage and, and, and marshal a certain amount of courage and strength and inner fortitude, because it's easier to take the path of least resistance. It's very rare that the path of righteousness is the path of least resistance. So we have to make those choices. And by virtue of those choices, Righteousness is manufactured. And that's the purpose of creation. The Marpel in Nefesh says, You may be prevented from heaven. You may not carry out your intended results. But it was never about the end result. It was about the choice you made. When you make the right choice, when you overpower your natural inclination, then in doing so you create holiness. And he says, it's a battle out there. It's a very, very difficult struggle. But if everything was muhanumazuman, if life was simple, easy before a person, then a person would live, so to speak, in heaven. And you're thinking, that's great. I can, I can dig heaven. And then you'll be like the angels. And you have no choice. Because angels have no choice. Angels don't advance. They never grow. They never rise to circumstances or challenges. Angels just exist and function in exactly the same pattern. So angels have no scharva enish. God didn't need more angels. He has enough angels. He wanted you. He wanted me. Ordinary human beings faced with difficulties, riddled with anxieties, doubts, fears, confusion, to overcome this, to find clarity and purpose, and choose to do the right thing. The Neder Bakoidesh tells us something absolutely fascinating with regard to this idea of Ho'aveda v'ho'aveda. Do you choose to serve 
or to violate. The question will always be Be'eze Bochar. What did you choose? Ubo. And it's in that choice, Mivchan HaNefesh, that the soul itself is on trial. The Nedav HaKadosh, in order to elucidate what Rabbeinu B'chayah says here, in the third chapter, he says, it's helpful to take a look at the next chapter. And he synopsizes, and he says, later on, Rabbeinu B'chayah will explain to us that every choice we make is comprised of three ingredients. The first one is, Habachira Belivoy. What did you choose in your heart? We all make a choice. We all want something. What did you want? The second is hakavana, the haskama. Sometimes I want to do the wrong thing, but I resolve to do the right thing anyway. Sometimes I want to do the wrong thing. I'm feeling a little guilty. And I resolve to do it anyway. This is not good. <laughs> I've chosen in my heart and I've resolved to follow through. I've made a decision. I've made a decision that I'm going to choose the wrong path. And the third factor, he said, and this is where it comes to a head. As we heard about earlier from the, from the name of the Menei Chalavavis, he says, the third factor is, Sheyishtadel. Ligmer Hamaisa. You tried to make it happen. But it didn't happen. I tried to steal. Didn't work. I was caught. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference if you didn't actually succeed at your machination, if your Ponzi scheme collapsed. Because you chose to engage in something immoral. So whether or not you succeeded in becoming wealthy through your criminal activity, or ended up failing despite your best laid plans, you chose to do the wrong thing. And by virtue of that choice, you will be held culpable. You can't be held culpable for the end result because the end result isn't in your hands. <laughs> That's in Hashem's hands. Rabbeinu Bechaya later will conclude by telling us, What I want to do, what I resolve to do, that's in my hand, that's in my purview. The third, I may not be successful, but I tried. There may be a cog that goes missing, a turning wheel that suddenly gets impeded. So it didn't work out. The system collapsed. But you made that action. The Nedab HaKadosh says, if you want an illustration of this, you need to go no farther than our father Abraham. Avram Avinu 
was asked to do the unthinkable. This paragon of kindness was asked to commit the greatest act of cruelty. He's supposed to kill his own son. And Avram Avinu had all kinds of challenges in carrying out what he believed to be the intention of Hashem. And so he wanted to do what Hashem asked of him, and that was good enough. He didn't have to kill his son. He had to be ready to kill his son. He had to be ready to do the will of Hashem with zest and alacrity. And his choice to do what Hashem said, his resolve to follow through, and to do it with the full enthusiasm, as if he was doing something that he actually liked or enjoyed. That's what the Akedah is all about. So what did Avraham Avinu actually do? One could argue nothing. God asked him to do something. He asked him to make a sacrifice. He didn't make the sacrifice. It wasn't about the sacrifice. <laughs> Think of it this way. Does God really need any of our mitzvahs? How could God have needs? And he's not a God. By definition, God can't have needs. That throws a monkey wrench into the whole theology of faith and religion. <laughs> we have this faith system. Religion and faith is about having a relationship with Hashem. But that's the point. Hashem asks you to do these things, not because He needs them. He makes Himself needy, if you will. Hashem wants to give us the privilege of having a relationship with Him. And that relationship is defined and created by virtue of the choices we make. Because we wanted to do the right thing, we don't actually need to do it. If Hashem prevents it from happening, so be it. Suppose your loved one knows you have a need, tries his or her best to provide you with this need. You're cold, you forgot your coat or your scarf. You're hungry, you left your lunchbox. I don't know, it doesn't matter. You make all the efforts, but in the end, it doesn't work. The kid is hungry. He didn't get his lunch. You say, but I brought it to you. Maybe. But he actually had a need. And sadly for him, the need wasn't met. Now, of course, this is also Bashgacha Pratis, and that's also by divine design. And much of this will never be understood or fathomed by hum humanity. The point, however, is. The point, however, is that you are responsible to make the right choice. And as far as your loved one's concerned, you, you need to actually alleviate the need. But if there really is no need, because Hashem doesn't have any needs, what's necessary? What's necessary is for you to make the effort. One of my children once left his lunch at home. I had a very busy day. And they were unhappy for obvious reasons. And I interrupted my schedule and I ran home and I got the lunch and I did bring it to school. And in the end, somehow there was a mix-up 
And by the time they got the lunchbox, school was over. And my son was not happy. He didn't have a good day, and he was hungry, and he was crying, and somebody shared half a sandwich with him. And I, I was like, I brought you to lunch. I'm sorry. I'm sure he appreciated the efforts that I made, but it didn't fill his belly and didn't give him a good day. Why? <laughs> Why? Very simple. Because my son actually was hungry. But when it comes to mitzvahs, Hashem considers your best efforts as if it would have been successful. The Nedubah offers us a stunning interpretation of the verse in Tehillim. It says, Va'ata chosid, you got our pious. Sorry. Locho Hashem chesed, to you Hashem is kindness. Ki ata teshalem le'ishkemaseyu. Because you remunerate each person according to their efforts. On the surface, it's hard to understand this verse. That's kind. That's justice. That's just right. Why wouldn't you remunerate somebody for the things they did? It says the Nedeb HaKedosh. L'cha Hashem chesed ki atatashalem kimasehu means as if you did it. As long as you did your part, not, ha- not, not half-heartedly, but really and truly, with every ounce of integrity, Hashem says, I consider it as if the act was done. Now, it's a privilege to do a mitzvah. And every time we do a mitzvah, our world becomes a brighter place even if we can't see it. In the language of the Kabbalists, a deposit has been made in a higher realm and it will someday be revealed in our realm of existence as well. And if you didn't actually do the mitzvah, well then something's missing. Light that could have been brought into this world wasn't. And so it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to actually do a mitzvah. But you have to know that the essence of Avedis Hashem isn't the final deed. That privilege is a gift from Hashem. What's really required is our efforts. We have to really care about it. That's well, I tried. I did my best. But maybe he didn't. He didn't really care. You gotta make it your business. You gotta really care about it. But then you must know that what was most meaningful was the choice that was made. And that says the Nedeb HaKredish is Rabbeinu B'chayi's point when he says, Even if the action never happened, The primary reward or punishment is It's for the choice. It's for the resolve. And as HaMaisa. You did your part. I once heard a story that the famed Chafetz Chaim came across a young boy from Cheder who was very distraught. And the Chafetz Chaim said to the boy, what's wrong? And the boy said, I tried so hard. I had a test in school. I reviewed the Mishnah and I didn't get a good mark. And my friends got much better marks than me. 
And I think I worked harder. And I tried. And it didn't succeed. And the Chofetz Chaim says, let me tell you. Let me tell you, young man. Let me explain to you what, what's really going on. And he told him a story about a shoemaker. A shoemaker who received an order to make a pair of shoes for somebody. He worked really hard on the shoes. And the customer came to pick up the shoes. And he says, the shoes don't fit me. I can't, I can't, I can't buy these shoes. I'm not paying you. And the shoemaker said, what do you mean? I have a family to support. It took me so many hours to make that pair of shoes. And the man said, I can't pay you for your efforts. I can pay you for a pair of shoes. This is before factory manufactured shoes were available. You had, had custom-made shoes. You said, I'll pay you for shoes. Whether you put hours of effort or hardly any effort is irrelevant. I'm paying for the final product. The Chofetz Chaim said to the boy, that's with regard to merchandise. That's with regard to the material realm. But you should know that with Hashem it's exactly the opposite. It actually isn't about the final result. It's about the effort you made. And the Chofetz Chaim said to him, if you made an effort, that's the best mark. You did your part. Don't look at the grades your grades are compared to somebody else's. Because in truth, Hashem grades us for effort. He, he grades us on how hard we tried, not the end result. The Nedeba Kodesh says that you must understand that this is true in either direction. Hein be'esek ha-mitzvah whether you're working on accomplishing something good and holy, or something which is wholly inappropriate. It all follows the bottom line. So why do we use the term kavona ubechira, intention and choice? Doesn't choice come first? I make a choice, and then I intend to carry something out. So the Paslechem says that's an interesting question. And he says it's not really precisely so. Because he says we first have an intention, an objective. And he says the Bechira follows our intentions. What we choose, ultimately what we choose and resolve to do, follows what was our intention. If our intentions were to serve Hashem, even if the act is not exactly appropriate. If one looks at it objectively, it can be considered to be a supreme act of subservience, loyalty, dedication, and devotion to Hashem Yisbarach. And we have an example, says the Paslechem, with a young woman whose name was Yael. And Yael submitted herself to an enemy of the Jewish people in order to end his life and save the Jewish people. And our sages tell us in the Gemara Nazir that an Aveda Lishma, a technical contravention of the specific instructions of Torah done for the sake of heaven, is more valuable than a mitzvah, than an act of holiness that's done Shalei Lishma. Don't try this at home, as they say. Don't go around doing Averot. 
chas v'shalom. Don't try to violate the code of Jewish law, God forbid, thinking that it's l'shma. But the point is, it always follows kavana. What did you intend? What were you looking for? And if a person does things with bad intentions, it's not that good. Even if technically they made the right choice, and even if in the end they followed through, this is true to the point that the Gemara queries whether or not somebody should even do a mitzvah if he does it for the wrong reasons. In the end, the Gemara says that you should do a mitzvah. Do the right thing even for the wrong reasons because out of doing the right thing, for the wrong reasons, you'll ultimately come to do it for the right reason. The Rebbe many times said that the words which are literally translated as out of doing something for the wrong reasons, he said the other understanding of it is, is under all the layers, under all the superficiality. Deep down, people actually want to do the right thing. They just didn't know it. Subconsciously, Innately, our neshama wants to do the right thing. Every one of us wants to do the right thing. So there's some value. But that intention shouldn't be latent. We should actually want to do the right thing. And Hashem will judge us for that. So the test is about the choice. And that's why Hashem made things so challenging. So that we would have not only tests, but in fact, we would have choices. Because those choices are what make a world of difference. I want to conclude today's class with what would seem to be a very big question. Almost um, a contradiction to many of the things that we've already learned. Let's recap and spell it out. Your efforts do not necessarily yield the final result. As the Baal Shem Tev explains the verse that's found in the 55th Psalm, Hashlech al Hashem Yehovcha v'hu yechalkelecha Cast your hope upon Hashem, and He will sustain or provide for you. Said the Holy Baal Shem Tev, Yechal Kilecha, provide for you, can also be read with a different permutation. And the word keli, keli means a vessel, a kli is a convention, an envelope. Hashlechal Hashem Yehovcha, Hu Yechal God makes the reasons he makes the wheels go round. He puts the system in place and the cause and effect that leads to the final, so to speak, earning of sustenance or creation of prosperity. So you, you put your hope on Hashem. Hashem provides the end result. He judges you on the choices you made. So in the previous episode, we said that these tests that we receive are not simply about revealing our own inner spiritual metal or courage. Because the purpose of the neshama's embodiment in a terrestrial reality 
is not that it should overcome the tests so it can go to heaven, so it can be elevated. But as we explained in great detail, ultimately, the goal, the mission, the purpose is to transform our world. As the Alter Rebbe illustrates in the 36th chapter of Tanya, where he says that most faith systems make the assumption that a person's efforts are all about achieving his or her own spiritual mastery. Like an obstacle course. You get to the course, you go to heaven. And so this earth, this terrestrial reality was created as an opportunity to help us vault into a higher place. It's an investment. We get planted in the ground, so to speak, to see if we can grow or produce a greater yield. But our sages told us that creation has a different purpose. That the tachlis brias oilam haza, that the reason that Hashem created such a dark and ungodly reality, a place of absolute total concealment, was not simply that we be tested, but rather, so Hashem should have a dwelling place here in our world. As the Medrash Tanchuma puts it, just as God is known on high, in the realm of the spirit, where there is no concealment, or at least much less concealment, that God wishes a dwelling place here in this world. Hashem wants a dwelling place in this world that doesn't lend itself to it. How does that happen? It happens through our copious, continuous efforts to harness our world to bring about the presence of Hashem. And this leads us into the idea of what Lurianic Kabbalah terms tikkun olam, which is not a Hebraic term for liberal activism. But rather, it means that we should redeem sparks of holiness that are embedded in the strata of existence. There's this Kabbalistic principle about a primordial world called chaos or tohu. And tohu couldn't be harnessed. The creative energies were too intense. The envelopes, the conventions were not able to suffer or contain their profundity, so it experienced a meltdown, spiritual big bang, if you will. And there was an explosion. And the debris or the sparks of holiness were embedded into existence. And when we utilize material things for a holy purpose, we redeem the sparks. And that's the purpose of creation. Which presents us with a tremendous question insofar as what we just learned. If the whole purpose of creation 
is to harness and utilize the material pedestrian, the mundane and the ordinary for a holy purpose. If, for example, by working with the leather and turning it into parchment, and then I have a mezuzah and a pair of tefillin, I create a sefer Torah. So then that leather becomes sacred and holy. It becomes a vehicle to reflect the presence of Hashem, to bring God's light into this world. If I take the money I earned by the sweat of my brow, or so I think, really by the largest of God, but I did put lots of sweat and toil into it, and then I use that money to build an edifice of Torah, of mitzvah, I sustained the poor, I provided for the needy, I created an environment that's conducive to the promulgation of a God-conscious world, the sparks are redeemed. That the bricks and mortar of this building are reflecting the presence of Hashem, and in doing so, their sparks are returned to their origin. That the food you ate that became a part of your body and gave you energy. Energy with which you studied Torah. Energy with which you were kind to somebody who was needy. Energy with which you focused your attention on Hashem in passionate prayer. So it's not only you who's davening, but it's everything that brought you to that point. If you ate a piece of meat, so then not only was, were you davening, the cow was davening. And by virtue of the cow being davening, uh, davening the, the cow also ate lots of hay. Now the hay is davening. And by virtue of the fact that the hay fed the cow who fed the person who chose to serve Hashem, the minerals and the nutrients, the water and the soil from which the hay grew, they're also serving Hashem. And the plow that was made of metal and the many, many causes that were involved in the creation or fabrication of that particular farm implement and all of the energy that went into transporting it and then actually making the furrow in the ground, all of this becomes elevated. So every tiny act of holiness elevates or affects perhaps millions of details. Releasing sparks or holy sparks of, of energy. So if they have these holy sparks of energy, these what's called nitsutsais, now Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is telling me it's not about the deed. It's not about the mitzvah. It's about the choice you make. But if it's about the choices I make, and the mitzvah actually gets done by Hashem, because Hashem in the end is the one who chooses to allow it to happen, so then what about all the elevation of the sparks? What about, I thought I was going to work, making a living, elevating all the sparks. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no, no. I, I didn't really do that. Hashem does that. So how does that whole Kabbalistic perspective, that welt anschauung, that we are not simply getting tested for our own personal betterment, but we are bettering or creating a holier world, how does that fit with everything we just learned? And the answer is perfectly. There's a Maimer Hasidic discourse from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's called Kiminasa. It's about tests. It's a mimer that was printed in 1948. And the mimer opens with the words, Kiminasa Hashem Eschem. God is testing you. Ladat. To know. To know. So it's revealed. Do you revere Him? 
Says the Friedrich Rebbe, Haneshama koidem yiridasalamata, the soul before it came into this world, to achieve embodiment in a material or literal sense, was in a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. Slamedes, Lamaila, Bailama Elyan. It was in a higher realm. It had Gilealakus. It knew the presence of God. But the soul had to experience many, many levels of descent and spiritual gestation to achieve embodiment in a world that is defined by its lack of awareness of the Creator. Hester Panim. And Tachlis Yiridasa Shalanashama. The purpose. The task assigned to the soul is Bishvila Birudim. It's in order to achieve that redemption of sparks we just spoke about. To rectify, to perfect the world. And the Rebbe says, the Indian Hanasyanis and the tests, when we are tested, the trials and the tribulations that we experience are especially poignant in achieving this very objective. Why? When you have an Nisoyen, when something prevents you from doing the right thing, you didn't elevate any sparks. You didn't actualize anything. You just had a test. The test was, were you going to remain faithful we can do the right thing. Let me give you a simple example of what I mean. I talked about eating. Everybody likes to eat. So we should eat mindfully, purposefully, with an objective. The objective should be to serve Hashem. So suppose you were hungry and the food is available. You ate the food. Not as an act of self-pleasuring, but because you need to be healthy. You eat healthy food. You ate food that would give you energy, and then you went on and chose to do the right thing. You served Hashem. Or, you had food. Two plates. Two opportunities. One was a food you love. The other was a food you don't really like. The food you love wasn't kosher. The other food was kosher. You're now faced with a test. Which food will you eat? The food you like, but it's not kosher. Or the food you don't like, but it is kosher. Now, if the purpose is elevating the sparks and utilizing the food for a holy purpose, which can only be achieved with kosher food. But that's what God says. If you eat a non-kosher food, you can't redeem it. Instead of you elevating the food, the food will necessarily shackle and tie you down. If I had only kosher food and I was hungry, what would I eat? Obviously, kosher food. So God put the food that's not kosher in front of me, and I had this enormous tug of war inside me, and in the end, I said, I'm not going to eat the non-kosher food. I pushed the non-kosher food away. I ate the kosher food. And then, and then I davened, and I, I, I studied Torah, and I did somebody a favor. So the food 
was eaten purposefully and I did the right thing? Tell me, what difference does it make if I had a challenge of eating non-kosher food or if there was no other food? What difference would it make if the goal is to utilize the physical and the material for a holy and a sacred purpose? What difference does it make if it was harder for me to eat the right food or easier? Like, why would God do that? If the goal is to use the food for a holy purpose, why test me with the delicious non-kosher food? Says the Friedrich Rebbe, you should know that when you are tested, when you have a challenge before you, something conceals the presence of Hashem. That's called an esoyin. It's called a test. And that comes from the deepest kind of God's self-concealment. So when you're able to overcome that and do the right thing, when you're able to break out and past the concealment, what happens is that you're actually elevating sparks. You like saying, I don't understand. If God wants me to do the right thing, the why are the righteous prospering? Why did they raise a hand? They're mocking us. Those who are studying Torah, performing mitzvahs, are suffering. Deprivation, sadness, suffering, pain. For what for? You have to reach deep inside you and you have to marshal every ounce of effort to stay on the course or to stay the course, to remain on the road, to continue to plot ahead, to move forward with as much enthusiasm as you can muster. The Friedrich Rebbe says, going on to the next page in this Mimer, it's page 95. The whole purpose of a Neshama coming down is in order to elevate the material and the physical. It's for Avedis Habirurim. Means the acts of refinement. Refinement means quite literally like you take the shaft and you put it in a crucible and you burn it off until the little bit of gold or zinc or platinum is retrieved. That you take that which comes the petroleum out of the ground and you cleanse it and burn off all the toxins and impurities so that the engine can actually run on gas that is clean instead of getting clogged. So it's all about it's all about extracting the little bit of gold. Like a ton of garbage and you get a gram of gold. Says the Rebbe, you should know that the Nitzutzei tell you that fell in Shvira Sakelem, Iker Nefilosem is in material things. Those sparks are embedded in the material reality. And he says, the elevation of those sparks comes in one of two ways. The first way is when you utilize the material for a holy purpose. The second is when you are tested. When you have trials and tribulations and don't give in. That's how sparks are redeemed. It's, a, it's quite a lengthy mimer. And we don't have time to go through the whole thing. I want to share with you just a quote, two quotes from the end of the Mimer. On page 101 in Zion, the Friedrich Rebbe says, 
Menasa Hashem Alekechem Eschem, God is testing you, Ladas. He says, the Avoida, the challenge, the trial and tribulation of Nisyonot is to see if we will reach a level of Das, of knowledge. You know, like when you're, you get it, you're connected to somebody, you know, you, you get them, you understand them, you, you have a knowledge of what makes them tick. You know, Adam and Eve got it together. It was called Adam Yoda. He knew her. So this is about knowing Hashem. And you will know Hashem when you are able to achieve that kind of closeness. But the only way to achieve that kind of closeness is by being tested and making the right choice. In the last paragraph of the Mimer, the Friedrich Rebbe wrote, Eni doime hanitsuts shebinesoyin. You cannot compare the value of the spark which is extracted by virtue of overcoming a test to the spark that's extracted by virtue of utilizing a material thing for a holy purpose. Ukumai, for example, Michael Hagashmi, material food. Hanitzutz, the spark is Baha Michael, it's in the food. The food's being refined. Habirur, the refinement. You use the material for a holy purpose. When you eat in a kosher way, with intention to strengthen your health, and then and then through by virtue of that consumption, you become wiser, you study Torah, you pray, you achieve emotional connectivity to God. That achieves refinement, so to speak, of the food. And that's the purpose. That's why Hashem created the food. That's why He created the material. So it should be harnessed, utilized for a holy purpose. That sublimation of the material world is what creation is all about. The spark is nichlal belakos. It becomes absorbed into a holy, godly truth. And that's the truth about anything. It's not just about what you eat. It's about the the wool of your clothing, it's about the leather of your shoes. But it doesn't make a difference. Whatever it is that you use in the material world, the bricks, the mortar, the wood of the furniture, it's all part of the same thing. When you use it for a holy purpose, you're elevating the sparks. But when it comes to a test, and that's Rabbeinu Bechayah's thesis, that the challenge of making a living is in order to test us, so that we make the right choice, says the Friedrich Rebbe, the refinement that we speak of is not through the involvement, the engagement with the material and through its sublimation, but rather you need to overcome your own demons, your own insecurities, your own lust, cravings, and desires. You need to choose the right, th to do the right thing. And that, he says, the Nisoyin itself is nothing. It's just an opportunity for you to choose right or to refrain from doing the wrong thing. And when you do that, when you struggle with your own demons, and reveal the core essence of your own neshama. So he says, the hisgabrus, the overpowering of the test to make the right choice, elevates a much loftier and holier spark.
And so Rabbeinu Bachaya says, if Hashem would have given us everything without effort or with minimal effort, we could still go through the motions of elevating the sparks by using the material for a holy purpose. But the most profound way to affect change in this world is to change ourselves. And that's achieved by virtue of the choices we make, the resolve we find, and the impetus to begin to act. And the rest is ultimately in Hashem's hands. And that, my dear friends, is what the choice is all about. I hope this inspires you to make the right choices as together we all try to overcome our own trials and tribulations to choose to do what's right, thereby transforming our world spark by spark, making it the holy, godly, and goodly place it was always intended to be. Our efforts do not go in vain. Every time we make the choice to do what's right, even if we aren't successful, a tiny step for a person or for a human becomes a giant step for humankind. And somebody's mitzvah, very soon, somebody's choice to do the right thing will soon weigh down the scales and bring about a new world, a world in which there'll be no tests and difficult choices to make anymore, a world of absolute, pure bliss, a world in which we will know Hashem and experience peace and prosperity. May it be bimheira obi ameno speedily. And in our days, I thank you so much for joining today. If you like it, no, hit like. Let me know. Please share it. And if you haven't yet, or you have friends or relatives who haven't yet, please subscribe. YouTube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. Thank you again for joining today. And I look forward to seeing you, Bezrat Hashem, in the future.